This is an extension of the, the Spirit of Jesus series that uh, Aaron started. And I want to just go into talking about the, the gift of prophecy. Um, but first, I want to address a few things regarding worldview and tell you a little bit about myself. Um, so, like many of you, I was born to a mother and a father. And um, I grew up in the church. I grew up in a Pentecostal church. Um, yes. Um, now, the ceilings were much, like the chandeliers in the sanctuary were much too high to swing from. And the pews were so close together, you couldn't get a good holy roll. I mean, that was really difficult. But there was a part in the front where you could dance, and you can get kinetic. And um, so that's what I did growing up uh, as a kid. Um, I was maybe five or six, and I would just be dancing in front and I just experienced the presence of God. And I would be weeping, and I would be crying, um, because the presence of God was so strong, and I had no idea what was going on. Like, no one really explained it to me. I'm like, I got water coming out of my face. What's going on? Um, but, there, you know, being a Pentecostal church, they had an emphasis on speaking in tongues, and so that's something I wanted. Um, and when I was about fifth grade, I went to summer camp, and I received a gift of tongues, and that was definitely a gift. Um, and I was super excited to share it. And, you know, back in the, the day of the, you know, that church, there was a testimony time. And I just remember giving testimony that God gave me the gift of tongues. And that was a special moment for me. Um, a little later on, uh, I went to college. And I went to a Christian college. Um, they, they, they required a Bible minor, which is really great because um, I really feel like I, didn't, I wasn't really rooted in the Word growing up. Um, I've seen things, i experienced things, but the Word of God wasn't necessarily something that I've fostered in my life personally. And it was really, really helpful to go to a college that taught that. Uh, but there was one thing about the college that was like a little difficult for me. And this particular college, um, they, the doctrinal statement, their statement of beliefs said that, that the, the sign gifts, the, the gifts of the Holy Spirit... That, um, have ceased in operation. There are certain gifts that have ceased in operation. So when the apostles died, the last of the apostles died, and when the, when the canon of Scripture was considered complete, God withdrew certain gifts from the church, namely tongues, prophecy, healing, miracles, discernment, and things like this, and that God doesn't do those things anymore. We have the Word of God, and we don't need this. Um, and there's a number of explanations for it. One, this doctrine is called cessationism. And cessationism is not necessarily rooted in the Bible. You can't find it in the Bible. It's not there. It's rooted in a lack of experience. And there's historical biases against it as well. So I'm just going to very paint with a very broad stroke of history um, some of the key components that have informed cessationism and how it's influenced our culture. Uh, not only Western culture, but also church culture. Um, so in the first century church, you had an explosion. You had a, a birth of um, like uh, Holy Spirit power. The church was birthed in power. Uh, and then over the, the centuries, uh, there was invariably, we put our, <laughs> man puts its hand to it sometimes of what God does. And so the organic growth and outcropping of the the church kind of institutionalizes. 
And we've gone through periods of history uh, that greatly affected the, the church. And it has a tendency to uh, centralize and be authoritarian. And, and the locus of power for the church is concentrated in a few. Um, and we see that most aptly with the, the Catholic Church during the Dark Ages, where the word of God was pretty scarce. I mean, people weren't expected to know or read, and they couldn't read the word of God for themselves, and it wasn't even offered to them to know it. Um, you had to go through authority to get to any sort of God. To get to God and to interact with your faith, interact with your religion, you had to go through the church. Um, and that, that brought a lot of uh, what was considered the Dark Ages. Um, and then it was about the time of Reformation uh, that there's certain men of God that God raised up to, to address these things. And it was also the printing press was invented around that time, which was a huge boon for the church because people started translating the Word of God and then people started getting the Word of God for themselves, that they can read for themselves. And uh, it, was, it was the Reformation. It was called the Reformation. And it was definitely a Reformation um, of of an idea. Um, one of the you know, greatest points of the Reformation was that justification, that salvation is by grace through faith alone, not by works. Um, so you can't buy it. You can't earn it. It's a grace gift from God. You receive it by faith. And that was a pivotal doctrine in the transformation of the Reformation. So, but with that, um, John Calvin kind of codified a lot of theology at the time And one of the things that he addressed was this idea uh, of miracles and spiritual gifts. And the Catholic Church was pointing to the Protestant reformers and saying, you don't operate in miracles. Because we operate in miracles and because we do these things, that we're the authority. And the reformers' response, and specifically John Calvin's response, was "Those, those signs, gifts, and those miracles do not confirm your authority. The Bible confirms the authority. So the Bible is the authority. And, but you threw the baby out with the bathwater because you said, those gifts have passed. So we don't want to validate anything you say because we can just say, hey, all these gifts are done, and so whatever you're doing is not of God, and we have the word of God. And so that was a big influence on the, the Christian Protestant tradition of not exercising the spiritual gifts in those capacities and operating in miracles. Um, sometime later, a century and a half or so, um, we get through this period of the Enlightenment. And the Enlightenment was an amazing thing in a lot of the Western world. Um, we had an access to the scientific discovery and new things, um, but there was also philosophy. Um, philosophy was a big component of the Enlightenment period, and much of our founders were influenced heavily by the Enlightenment. And you have things like empiricism and rationalism and logic and naturalism. And so the more man understood about the known world, um, the, man, the more man operated as if independent from God. Because a lot of these people deconstructed their religion in relationship to science and said, oh, this is not what I know, this is not what I heard. So they're taking a rationalistic, naturalistic approach to the world and saying, basically, what you can see, what you can measure, what you can observe is true, but everything else is not. Um, so that was a huge influence. I mean, like, to, to name somebody, 
you know, Thomas Jefferson, he was a child of the Enlightenment, and he created his own Bible, um, where he took up the Gospels in the book of Acts, and he literally cut out all of the miracles and supernatural events of those, of those books and said, this is, you know, this is what it is. Because he was offended by the supernatural. And so, from the Enlightenment, we get all these isms. Uh, modernism. Humanism. You know, humanism, the idea that there is no God but man. You know, like... <laughs> Man's puffed up. He's like, I think I know something. And it's really just a result of original sin. Like that original deception where the enemy's tempting Eve and said, you shall know good from evil and you shall be like God. And so it's not not new. (laughs) Like it has its origins in the original deception. And then it seems like we're always craving, as soon as we get a little more knowledge, we're like, we don't need God. And And that's kind of that, what it produced, that secular humanism, and eventually Darwinism, and saying we've explained God out of everything. So because of the Reformation, um, and then also solidification with the Enlightenment, uh, when we're coming into, like, our culture, our culture has been heavily influenced by naturalism and humanism and Darwinism, and and then we we get into this postmodern age where it's like, well, there is no truth. What is truth? And you get really relativism, meaning that there is no objective truth. Although Christianity has a way of being objectively wrong all the time <laughs> in their eyes, even though nothing's truly true. So, um, so and, you, and this is also an extension, so it's almost a deconstruction of modernism, but also it, it goes its own way. And, it, and basically it's saying... Everyone's their own God, because everyone can define truth. Um, and so, because everyone can define truth, your truth is different than my truth, but we're both true. It's like, oh, wow, that doesn't make sense. Um, which is why you can wake up every day with a different gender. Um, but, I mean, right now, our culture is in a very much mishmash of all these old ideas from the Enlightenment and these postmodern ideas, and we don't know what we are. But I can tell you that there is, running through it all, in the church and in our culture, there is a strong anti-supernatural bias. Um, So this worldview that we're kind of reared in, and we grow up in. And some of you have you know, been in churches where you read the Bible a certain way. And it's really no fault of our own. We, re- we read it through the lens of our own culture. And the, the funny thing is, the Bible actually has its own culture. Like, the Bible is filled with the supernatural. And it presupposes that supernatural, like, the, the, the world is supernatural. And Jesus' worldview is supernatural. And so we need to kind of readapt what the Bible, how the Bible frames the world and not how we frame the world. So, this starting in Genesis 1, it makes it pretty clear. So, uh, Genesis 1.1. So, it, it offends, like the first words of the Bible offends our modern and postmodern sensibilities. <laughs> so, Genesis 1.1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. So in the beginning, 
something outside of man <laughs> created all that we know and see. So this divine being is already offensive to anybody who thinks they're God. <laughs> because God is God and you are not. Verse 2. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. Now, would you say that the Spirit of God is something, a natural concept? No. <laughs> like, this is, this is supernatural. And even the waters here. The waters have a lot of significance in the Bible. Um, and oftentimes, in this contemporary ancient Near East context, um, the waters represented chaos. It represented disorder. It represented that's where evil comes from. So when you see the beast coming from the sea in the book of Revelation, there's context there. Amen. And so when the sea is normally attributed to the chaos and the, even the creation stories and accounts of, of cultures around that area in that time period, the Bible is speaking to that and said the Holy Spirit's hovering over them. God is over the waters. He's not subject to the chaos and the evil. But he is over the chaos and the evil. And then what does God do? He makes creation from that place. He brings order to disorder. And then verse 3. This is the first prophetic declaration in the word. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. So, right there, he just broke the first law of thermodynamics, which is matter can neither be created nor destroyed. And he created something with his, with his speech. Wow. Let there be light, and there was light. This is a very supernatural event. So, now I'm going to get to prophecy. <laughs> I didn't know how to transition that, so I'll just say it. Um, yeah, so this is the first prophetic act that God did, and he repeats this, and the Bible is replete with, with example after example of the topsy-turvy world of this natural world interacting with another one. Um, so if we're going to adopt the Bible's worldview, we have to adopt the supernatural worldview. Um, and that informs all of our Christianity and our whole life. So let's just get to the, the, the gift of prophecy. And first, I'm going to define out, like, you know, what is it for? Uh, what is it exactly? And how do we do it? So let's get to it. Let's go straight to the, from the beginning to the end. Let's go to Revelation 19, 10. And then I fell down at his feet to worship him. And this is John talking to the angel. But he said to me, you must not do that. I am a fellow servant with you and your brothers who hold, on, who hold to the testimony of Jesus. Worship God. For the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. So, the essence of prophecy is to reveal the Son. This is its purpose. This is what it's rooted in. This is its overarching theme. It's like... Prophecy reveals Jesus. So if you suppress the spirit of prophecy, 
you hinder the testimony of Jesus. Because it's the spirit of Jesus who reveals these things. So let's, let's, I'm going to go through a few scriptural examples of, of how that's laid out and how, and how even prophecy is revealing who God is. So let's go to John 1, 43. And I'll read it for you. The next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee. He found Philip and said to him, follow me. Now Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip found Nathanael and said to him, we have found of him who Moses in the law, we have found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nathanael said to him, can anything good come out of Nazareth? He was just like, really, can anything good come from Arkansas? And Philip said to him, come and see. Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him and said of him, behold, an Israelite indeed in whom there is no deceit. Nathanael said to him, how do you, how do you know me? And Jesus answered him, before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. And Nathanael answered him, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. So Jesus had a prophetic image where he saw Nathanael under the fig tree, and this, this scenario take place. And then when he told Nathanael that, his response was like, you're God. <laughs> that is the spirit of prophecy testifying to who Jesus is. So another example is in John 4, the woman at the well, where he's talking to her, and he's explaining to her the things of like living water and you know, if you drink from me, you'll never thirst again. And she's like, okay. And he's like, go and tell your husband. Well, I don't, I don't have a husband. You're right when you say you have no husband. You had five husbands. And then she goes back and she's like, hey, this man told me everything I, I did. Can this be the Messiah? And so this prophetic revelation that Jesus had is revealing who he is to her. And so we even see this, this purpose played out in the church in the Corinthian church, in the gift of prophecy being manifest. So let's go to 1 Corinthians 14, 23. If, therefore, the whole church comes together and all speak in tongues and outsiders or unbelievers enter, will they not say that you are out of your minds? But if all prophesy and an unbeliever or outsider enters, he is convicted by all. He is called to account by all. The secrets of his heart are disclosed. And so, falling on his face, he will worship God and declare that God is really among you. There's a prophetic release. And then there's a revelation. God is with you. God is among you. God is here. God is real. So, let's go back. Because this, this builds supernaturally. Um... Our whole faith rests on the supernatural. So let's take example, like, I don't know, this minor Bible. Jesus. God. Okay. Not quite natural. God took on human flesh. Oh, yeah. That's pretty supernatural. He was born of a virgin. Oh, yeah. That doesn't really happen. 
He lived a sinless life according to the law. That's not easy to do. (laughs) He was baptized in the Holy Spirit. And a voice from heaven said, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. Oh, that doesn't, that's not, doesn't happen frequently. The Holy Spirit rests on him like a dove. I saw that thing. You see that thing? Was it a dove? I don't know. It looked like a dove, but it wasn't a dove. <laughs> and then he, he turns water into wine. Oh, okay. I've done that before. Um, <laughs> he casts out demons. He heals the sick. He proclaims the kingdom of God and reveals revelations from heaven. Um, he raises the dead. I've never been part of a dead raisin, but that would be pretty exciting. <laughs> he calms the stores. He walks on the waters. And, and then he's crucified. And then he raises from the dead. That's not natural. <laughs> um, I would say that's like a point zero 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 one percent chance. That's what's going to happen. Um, to self-do it. <laughs> so then he appears to many. And then it appears like he's resurrected and he's in his body. And then he can go through locked doors. I don't know. He walks through walls. That's not natural. Um, and then he ascends. Like, that would be really cool. Like, whoa. Okay. Going up. All right. And then he ascends to heaven. Like, no hot air balloon. It's him. Um, And then he pours out his spirit on his believers. The whole bedrock of our faith is supernatural. Like, (laughs) there's no wiggle room. (laughs) Like, you either believe it or you don't. And you have to kind of believe all of it. Unless it doesn't work. And you... So, yeah. And so, I, I guess with conservative theological uh, views, like like the ones that hold to cessationism, but they hold the the Bible is true, it's really difficult in saying, historically God is supernatural, but now he's not. Oof. I mean, that's an extension of also the humanism. Because it's like, I know enough now. We've got the Bible. We're good, God. Thanks. And so this, it's, it's actually a man doctrine. And it's inspired by the enemy. Man, that's <laughs> Okay. <laughs> so, so Jesus died. He resurrected and ascended so that we can have the spirit on the inside of us. And so it's like, I died to put myself in you. Yeah. Now be limited. <laughs> Jesus is the same yesterday, yes. today, and forever. He still speaks. He still heals. He still pours out his Holy Spirit. He still gives gifts to men. And I love it because the word spiritual gifts here is charismata or caroms, which means a grace gift. 
It is not something we work to or attain to. It's not something we deserve. Just like salvation, it's by grace through faith. But if you have no faith, will you receive the grace? Would you, would you? Um, <laughs> so, <laughs> I don't know why I thought to do that. <laughs> um, so, you can't, like, if you don't believe in his gifts, I don't think he's going to give it. Like, there's unbelief factors, and there's strong cultural and intrinsic ideas that keep us limited to keep from receiving everything that God has for us. But what I want to do today is point out that this is not true. That cessationism is not true. And it hinders the effectiveness of the church and the advancement of God's kingdom. Because the gospel of salvation went out, but now we need the rest of the kingdom. The rest of the gospel of the kingdom, which is for us. And which is Holy Spirit empowered. Um... So, powerless Christianity is an oxymoron. The same power that raised Jesus from the dead, where does it live? In us. What? Huh. That's amazing. So, the church is powerless because it has been rendered that way through unbelief and agreement with the lies of the enemy. So, what I want to do is kind of kick that over or kill that sacred cow because it needs to die. (laughs) Um, So, let's go back to prophecy. Um, So, in that last verse I just read, um, 1 Corinthians 14, oh, actually, 14.23. No, actually, we're moving on. (laughs) Notes. All right. So, moving on, the, so let's, let's just talk about what it looks like in expression, what it looks like, and what it, what's supposed to be motivating behind it. And so, Paul gives us a really good picture in 1 Corinthians 14, 1. He says this, Pursue love and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. For one who speaks in a tongue speaks not to men, but to God. For no one understands him, but he utters mysteries in the spirit. And on the other hand, the one who prophesies speaks to people for their upbuilding and encouragement and consolation. The one who speaks in a tongue builds up himself, but the one who prophesies builds up the church. Now I want you to all speak in tongues, but even more to prophesy. The one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues, unless someone interprets so that the church may be built up. There's a lot there. And the first onus of that verse and the thrust of, of what he's addressing is through love. I mean, we go through 1 Corinthians 13, it's all about love. And if I, if I prophesy and do all these things in God's name, but I have not love, I'm nothing. And so the best vehicle for the prophetic voice of God is love. And so I know, me personally, my, my heightened times where the God uses me in ministry like that is when I'm actually in agreement with his love for that person. Wow, that is good. And so, 
yeah, so we can't do anything from but love. So, you know, at the end, we're going we're gonna to do something together. Um, but, it, like, really, like, love keeps us humble, and it, it also ministers to others. It's, like, in a way that doesn't puff our own self up. Um, because if we're being used by God, we can be like, I'm used by God because of me. <laughs> no. It's by his grace. Um, so, so I, I, you know, one thing to say about spiritual gifts and prophecy in general is um, there's no single unified expression of what these gifts look like. Um, because not everyone teaches the same. They, there's two people that might have the gift of teaching, but they teach very different styles, they're very different ways, and so it doesn't look exactly the same. Same with tongues. Even though you're, you're speaking another language, you don't have the same tongues as someone else. And these look different. Even Jesus. Like, he operated obviously in healing. And when did you see his healings look alike? You know, sometimes he's, he's calling out a hand. You know, stretch out your hand, be healed. And sometimes someone touches his garment and they're healed. And sometimes it's wet willies that heal you. It's like, it, you know, the, the, the biblical precedent for healing is creativity. Because he never seems to do the same thing twice. And when he heals people, it's always a, a little different way or a variation. And even the, even the apostles, like there was expressions that they were seeing in healing that Jesus did not model. Um, and Paul's handkerchief, it's casting out demons to healing people. Peter's shadow. I'm just going to walk by. Oh, you got healed. That's crazy. I never saw that happen before. <laughs> you know, this is, this is the biblical precedent for healing. And so, and I love, you know, one of the spiritual gifts is miracles. It doesn't even really specify. It's like, oh, miracles. I guess we'll know it when we see it. <laughs> like, oh, that's, wow, that's crazy. I, I've never seen that before. It's probably a miracle. <laughs> um, it's supernatural. So, it's not different with prophecy. I mean, prophecy is basically like hearing from God and, and even hearing God communicating to you. And a lot of times it's for another person or for a situation. Um, and it could look like a dream. It could look like a vision, an impression, an inner voice, an audible voice, um, a mental picture, an idea, an analogy. There's so many ways that God can speak to us, but the expression... Through love, as the prophetic voice of God, it's God communicating through us, but it doesn't look like, half, it doesn't look like what the other guy did. Um, because God is responding to us, and in his spirit in us, uh, uniquely through us, and how he's made us. Like, we're each individually, fearfully, and wonderfully made. And God's, you know, what work for might work for one person. Like, don't try to duplicate it. Just figure out what God is doing in you, and then exercise it. Um, you know, I, I used to just pray for people and I, after college, um, you know, that, that's where God really built my faith. Um, because, I, you know, in college I wasn't had a strong board background and then these people were saying, God doesn't do these things today. I'm like, what have I seen and experienced? I'm like, that does not happen today. So I had like a quandary, like these people know the Bible. I don't really know the Bible. 
but I've had these experiences, so what do I do with this? And so I had to make my faith my own. I had to look in the Word and say, God, will you show me these things? And by doing that, I acquainted myself with the Word of God and related to God and built my faith up. And at that point, I transitioned. This is not my parents' faith. This is not my church's faith. This is not my college's faith. This is my faith. And so everyone should have a relationship with their own faith and with their own Bible. Uh, because no one else can do it for you. Um, so that was an amazing thing that God worked in me. And it was, it was an intense period of like dryness. Because I'm like, I'm used to just, you know, the presence of the Lord and just wanting and pursuing that. But it was just, you know, just kind of like not happening. Um, and I, I, I dearly loved my time there. And I gained such an appreciation for the diversity of the body of Christ. And they're my brothers and sisters. But I would like for them to know there's some more out there. <laughs> and it's ironic because God took me through several contexts where people, you know, they weren't necessarily cessationists completely, but they were functionally so. So they couldn't biblically justify why they've stopped, but they're like, don't do that here, okay? <laughs> um, but I learned over time when I prayed for people I could sneak in prophecy. It's like sneaky prophecy. Um, and they loved it because I didn't, you know, because my eyes didn't roll back in the, my head and I just say, thus saith the Lord. Like, I didn't do that. Um, <laughs> I would pray for people and there's ideas or analogies or images that come to mind and I would just pray into those things. And they would recognize that God was speaking through me, but they probably wouldn't call it prophecy. Um, they were like, that had nothing to do with Henry Kissinger being the Antichrist. Um, <laughs> sorry, it's weird. Um, so, like, even example, like, I was, you know, a guy had asked for prayer at a church I was at. And so I started praying for him. And I was using all of these running analogies, like running the race. And just, you know, I saw a picture of God lacing his shoes for the journey ahead uh, for the race he's to run. And... And I had no idea who he was. I didn't really know him at all. And then he told me how much track was a part of his life. And how that much that meant to him, what I prayed. Um, and so I, you don't have to necessarily say, thus saith the Lord, and go all King James on him. You just, because <laughs> it actually works better when you do that. Um, <laughs> sorry. Um, but, you, I mean, you can give, you could just, even analogies and ideas and images and pictures and just like encouragement. It's encouragement. It's through love. Yeah. Um, so going back to the prophetic gift as, as Paul lays it out um, for the upbuilding of the church. And I was thinking about this. And I say like prophecy is so important because not only does it reveal Jesus, but it builds up his church. And I was thinking, how does it build up your church? And it's, it's, it's quite crazy because prophecy has the ability to encourage every other gift. So if you're seeing something and hearing from the Lord for someone else and you start encouraging them in that, and then they're going to start being built up and exercising the gifts that God's given them. You might, not, you might be even recognizing a gift of God on them. They might not even recognize it. And then you speak it out and activate it in them. 
And then they're operating in their giftings. And it's like, that's the power of the prophetic. It's like, whoa. It has the power to encourage everyone and, and bolster everyone in their gifts and their faith. Like, that builds the church. And that's amazing. Like, because, you know, the church, there's aspects of the church that are atrophied because we've neglected these things. And we're, we're, we're sick and frail moving through what God has called us to do. And we need to be able-bodied. And we need to be empowered. And if we're not so, we won't do it. We won't get it done. Um, so this is why the enemy demonizes this gift. Um, and it really, it, it helps you see things from God's perspective. Uh, part of prophecy is receiving. It's receiving a revelation. It's getting an idea, an image, a picture, or, or a voice, or a thought. And you receive it, and then there's an interpretation. Like, you have to interpret, like, okay, God, what does this mean? Like, you know, over time, you kind of get a sense of what things might mean. But in the beginning, you're like, you might tell somebody, I see this. Does this mean anything to you? And they're like, no. I'm like, okay. That's part of learning. And then sometimes they might say no, but then, like, then over time, they're like, yeah, that meant a lot to me. I'm so, yeah. Um, because God's working on them. And then it's like, how we, how we respond to that thing. Like, what do we do with it? Um, so... Yeah, the prophetic gifting is, yeah, it's an amazing thing that builds up the body and encourages the body of Christ. And um, what I want to do right now is kind of uh, move into a time of letting the Holy Spirit minister. And I want to start it out with a verse um, in Numbers, Numbers 11, 24. So Moses went out and told the people what the Lord had said. He brought together 70 elders and had them stand around the tent. Then the Lord came down in the cloud and spoke with him. And he took some of the power of the spirit that was on him and put it on the 70 elders. And when the spirit rested on them, they prophesied, but did not do so again. However, two men whose names were Eldad and and Medad had remained in the camp. (laughs) Medad. Sorry. Um, They were listed among the elders, but did not go out to the tent. Yet the Spirit also rested on them, and they prophesied in the camp. A young man ran and told Moses, Eldad and Medad are prophesying in the camp. And Joshua, son of Nun, who had been Moses' aide since youth, spoke up and said, Moses, my Lord, stop them. But Moses replied, Are you jealous for my sake? I wish that all the Lord's people were prophets, and that the Lord would put his Spirit on them. Moses is speaking under the unction and influence of the Holy Spirit when he's saying this. So God is willing, even just is echoing what Paul said. I pray that you would all prophesy. Earnestly desire. That means there's no one and done. It means you can ask for more. Like, you don't give me like, I got stuck with this gift. No, like you can, you can operate and expand giftings. Even people can impart gifts to you. Like, Earnestly desire these things. Seek after these things. Because God wants you built up and he wants his church built up. So that you can do, be the hands and feet of Jesus in this world. So the Lord, like, this is the Lord's heart and intention that you would operate in these ways. And he's made a way for you to do it. Um, like, this is his heart. He's like, I want to know you in this place, and I want, I want to bless you in this way, because these are grace gifts, and these are gifts. Gifts are meant to be a blessing. 
Like, I don't give my kid, like, a gift so that he can scorn it, or that, like, I would just be like, oh, I guess you, I guess I want you to have this, whatever, here you go. Like, no, like, it's so fun to give a gift to my son or my daughters, and that they're enjoying it, and they love it, and it's like, it blesses me. So it blesses God to give gifts, and it, it's a blessing that you have them and use them. So if you have, it's like, you know, it's another thing to say, like, yeah, I have it, but it's in the closet somewhere. I've never, I never played with it ever since I got it. Yeah. And it's like, well, I, I don't know why I got you that gift then. <laughs> um, but, like, I, the Lord wants to use you. And the Lord wants to, you to minister and be built up in him and build others up. And that's the nature and the role of prophecy. And um, I, I feel like there's, there's, it's almost like a red pill, blue pill moment. So, um, you know, the Holy Spirit saying, hey, this is the pill. If you take this, you get empowered, but it requires trust. It requires surrender. It requires going on an adventure with God where you don't know the outcome. And it's supernatural. And then there's a blue pill. Yeah, you can go back in the matrix. <laughs> you can do the things you've always done. You can hold to your traditions. You can do church and family and life and culture and do all the things that you've always done and live that secure, comfortable life. But you won't experience God, everything that God has for you. So, you know, the way God, is, I believe, is taking free people, we've been on like a roller coaster. But there's going to be a point, and I feel like I'm hearing clickety-click, like, you know that, like, ascent, like, clickety, 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 <laughs> you know, I don't know, on the beast, they have that one really high one, so, um, you know, we've, we, we've, we've been riding the roller coaster, but now we're like, clickety, 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 and there's going to be a point where he's going to take off the brakes, like, he is just getting started, and so, <laughs> you're going to have to make a choice whether you're going to go red pill or blue pill. <laughs> um, because the Lord is doing things. And I, he wants you to be a part. But he doesn't want you to be a part if you're refusing to be a part. So, um, yeah. So, I, <laughs> I have this whole blank section in my notes. I do this sometimes. I'm like, I don't know what's going to happen. But I'm going to pray. And the Lord might give me something. Or he might just ask me to, yeah, open it up. So, (laughs) Holy Spirit, thank you. (laughs) Thank you for your gifts. Thank you for your love. And Lord, I just ask that you would pour out your love on these people, on your people. God, I thank you, God, that you have healing and deliverance. You have freedom. You have grace and a multiplication of gifts for your people to operate in, to exercise, to walk in, to bless, to be blessed and to be a blessing. And so I just ask that you would activate hearts. You would activate minds. That you would cut off the cruft of unbelief and man tradition. And that we have a spirit of openness to Holy Spirit. And that we would seek and savor every moment with you. 
and everything that you do, you bless us with. You bless us with these gifts. So I thank you, God, for gifts. I thank you for the gifts that you're distributing right now. Oof. God, I thank you for the gifts that you're distributing. I thank you, God, that people are going to be, <laughs> going to be people having dreams tonight. There's going to be an activation of dreams tonight. And it's like, okay, get your pen and paper ready. Get your pen and paper ready. The Lord's going to give you dreams. Hmm. <laughs> so when you wake up and you didn't expect to have a dream, but you had a dream and God told you something to do, write it down. Wake up while it's fresh. Whatever you use, write it down. Uh, because it's going to be useful. And it's going to be things that you, God's calling you to do. Um, so it's by grace through faith. So Lord, I just ask God for the gift of faith to receive your grace and your, your grace gifts. So I just thank you for your mercy, God. I just want you to like hold out your hands like you're receiving something. And Holy Spirit, I just ask God that <laughs> it's almost like he's dropping gifts, like air, air dropping gifts into people's hands. Mm. God, I just, <laughs> I just ask God for more. Thank you, God. Thank you, God, for your mercy. Thank you, God, for your love. I just ask that you would impart gifts to God that there would be even surprises. Like, I was not expecting, I was asking for this, but I was not expecting this. <laughs> I was asking for, <laughs> I was asking for tongues, but now I can see in the spirit. Like, <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> and so I just thank you, God. And Lord, would you, would you guys repeat after me? Lord, Lord. I, receive I receive any gift you want to give me. Thank you. Thank you. Amen.